welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series six and episode three. And in this episode, Jesus teaches the 12, his apostles, about the challenges of mission work. We're in Matthew chapter 10, and if you've been following the episodes of series six, you'll know that we started uh, just at the end of Matthew 9 and into Matthew 10 with the description of Jesus sending out his 12 disciples or apostles on their first mission trip in pairs um, around Galilee. And we're now in the third episode, which is describing this process. The first one describes the moments of calling and the context for the calling and described some things about Jesus' own mission, his compassion, his desire to reach people, his statement about the harvest being plentiful but the workers being few and praying for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest and then his commissioning of the twelve. And then uh, in the last episode we looked at some of the specific instructions that Jesus gave them just before they went out on this mission on his behalf. And we're now continuing with that teaching uh, where Jesus is explaining further about different aspects of going out on mission. Let's just for a moment remind ourselves of the wider context of this particular event. In series three, we described how Jesus started his public ministry in Galilee. He basically went around preaching and teaching in different places, healing the sick and doing many miracles and attracting a tremendous following of local people and also people willing to travel long distances to come and see him. And during that first tour of Galilee, which we described in series three, he gradually gathered together disciples, people committed to following him. That was a gradual process. And at the end of series three, the end of his first tour of Galilee, Luke in chapter 6 and Mark in chapter 3, describe the moment when Jesus chose, after prayer and reflection and time, chose 12 men to have a particular role, which he described as being apostles to be with him and then to go and preach in his name and have his authority. So that was a very important moment. And it was the beginning of the process of Jesus moving from just being a one-man ministry, so to speak, to being a team leader and having a team working for him and multiplying his ministry. Then there came the Sermon on the Mount, immediately after that appointment, virtually the same occasion, on the same mountainside. And this teaching really described the lifestyle of the kingdom, the way that disciples would live, as they followed Jesus. And then in series five, uh, we discussed the second tour of Galilee. And on this occasion, the 12 are with Jesus all the time. They know their role. They know they're going to be involved in mission in a very strategic way in the future. And they are being prepared to be sent out uh, in pairs in due course. They may not have known the details, but they knew that that was the general process that uh, would take place. Now in series six, we're in the third tour of Galilee and Jesus is changing his tactics fundamentally now. He is releasing the apostles in pairs to spend some time traveling on their own as pairs 
uh, in different directions around Galilee, preaching and teaching and extending his message while he goes off in another direction to teach and preach. So in effect, that means that he's creating seven mission teams himself, with others following him, no doubt, and the pairs going off in six different directions. Now, obviously, they didn't really know what to do. And so the instructions he gives them are very important. And the instructions we looked at last time are very specific about who to go to, what to do when you get to a village or a town, how many things you take with you, uh, what you do when you receive hospitality, what you do when you don't receive hospitality, um, what to say on the street, uh, what to do about healing. All sorts of practical things were discussed in the last teaching. But in this second half of this chapter, which we're going to study in this episode, Jesus moves from discussing specific issues relating to the immediate mission to giving more general advice about the challenges of mission in all contexts. So he's now spreading the discussion to a more general, open discussion. Everything he says here will be relevant to some measure to the apostles in their first mission, but he extends the teaching so that it helps them and others, of course, who read the text like we are doing now, uh, to understand some of the key principles that we need to bear in mind. So this is incredibly relevant and it is a great joy to me in this particular section at the beginning of series six to spend some time just focusing on the question of mission. It's very close to my heart and I believe that it's the vital task that the church must give itself to in all generations and one of the ways of renewing our mission is to go back to the life of Jesus and seeing how he did things and in this particular case, seeing what instructions he gave to his followers. And they are very helpful, as you will find. So we're now going to look in sections at Matthew 10, verse 24, through to Matthew 11, verse 1. We'll read it in sections, and I'm going to comment on each section that I read, which gives words of advice and warning and principles that help us in our mission. First of all, Matthew 10, 24 and 25. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of the household? Well, the head of the house, so to speak, is Jesus. And he has been identified by the Pharisees as operating under the power of Satan, the prince of demons, who also went by the name of Beelzebul or Beelzebub. And the Pharisees, on a number of occasions, very directly accused Jesus of being a false messiah operating under demonic power. One is occasion is in Matthew 12, verse 24. But the occasion that happens just prior to this event is recorded in Matthew 
9 verse 34, where Jesus has performed some remarkable miracles, healing two blind men and one man who was completely mute and unable to speak. And the Pharisees said in verse 34 of chapter 9, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. It's a massive accusation. It's an incredible claim that Jesus is utterly false, has nothing to do with God, has nothing to do with the spirit of God and his remarkable power, but is operating under the power of demons. So that's the sort of thing Jesus has in mind when he says that the head of the house might be called um, Beelzebub. How much more the members of the household? In other words, expect to be misunderstood and misrepresented if you're a follower of Jesus. Let me say that again. If you're a follower of Jesus, expect to be misunderstood and misrepresented when you're on mission. It is a reality that will sometimes happen. Not always. And it's not something Christians should ever seek out or desire. Far from it. But it will happen. People will negatively represent us as uh, selfish, as a cult, as inspired by demonic power or any other accusation that suits the social context of their culture. Expect to be misunderstood and misrepresented. But in that expectation comes a certain joy because when we look back at the life of Jesus and we see how incredibly uh, courageous he was when he faced such opposition, then we can take strength to be courageous ourselves when we also face opposition for the things that we do and the things that we believe. That's why we need to go back to the Gospels again and again, by the way. We need constant inspiration from the life of Jesus for the many different issues that we face in our own lives. And here's one very good example. Let's move on. Verses 26 to 31. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. What can we learn from here? The very simple truth. Do not be afraid of your opponents, even if your life is endangered by them. The perspective here is the perspective not of this life, but of eternity. Everything about the Christian life must be seen from the context of eternity. It is not just for this life that we act and live and hope for good things. We have our eyes set on our eternal destiny. The Christian faith really doesn't make any sense without a strong perspective of eternal security. When Christ comes, 
into our lives by faith and we have our sins forgiven because of his substitutionary atonement on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, then we enter into a new life of which this is only just the foretaste and the beginning. We sense the life of the Spirit within us, but we anticipate his return. We anticipate the resurrection of our physical bodies after we've died. And we anticipate entering into a new heaven and new earth, a new realm of existence in eternity of glory and power and joy and activity and all sorts of wonderful realities, free from suffering. That's the Christian perspective, which is behind this saying. And so uh, Jesus is encouraging people to be afraid of God who can, who can kill both soul and body. In other words, respect him, come under his authority, come into his kingdom, be concerned about what he can do rather than concerned about the terrible things that could be done to you in this life. Suffering and martyrdom are a real possibility in the Christian life. It's not a popular topic and in some countries people don't want to talk about these things at all, especially if the church is in a secure situation at that time. But we have to face this reality. And I know that around this world there are people who are listening to or viewing this episode, who have personally experienced a life of suffering, who know what persecution is like and may even know people who have been martyred or killed for their faith. And so these words are a great comfort. Do not be afraid of your opponents, even if your life is in danger, because our reward ultimately is in heaven. Verse 32 Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Christian faith requires us to be honest about our allegiance to Jesus Christ, to acknowledge him as is appropriate not to disown him, not to pretend that we are not Christians. This acknowledgement of him before others will bring an eternal reward that our Heavenly Father will acknowledge us in eternity. He will acknowledge us as one of his children. Christians who are not following Christ wholeheartedly often uh, choose to start disowning him. It's a risky thing to do. We need to acknowledge Christ even in hostile circumstances. Let's move on to the next section. Verse 34 to 37. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me isn't worthy of me. Now this section 
tells us that the gospel can cause division in families. I wonder whether you've experienced that. Our first reflection on this, by the way, should be that Jesus experienced this very division. We saw in the last episode of series five, Jesus's second recorded return to his hometown Nazareth. And we saw that local people and family members were uh, taking offence at him. They lacked faith in him. They didn't acknowledge who he was. They, some of them were opposed to him. Family division was the experience that Jesus had even in his own family, whilst his mother uh, wholeheartedly believed in his identity and supported him. His brothers and sisters, by all accounts, did not do so for a long period of time. And the brothers only came to believe in him uh, at the very end of his life or through the resurrection. So even Jesus experienced family division. It's a tremendously common experience for Christians that their family members are not always choosing to agree with them or to join in that journey of faith. So there will be conflict and division. And Jesus here quotes a passage from the book of Micah, chapter 7, which describes the situation that took place in ancient Judah just before their exile when they were coming under judgment. And as a result of moral decline, um, there were conflict between people, uh, between those who were following God and those who weren't. And he's basically saying something similar is going to happen in the situation of the church. So this is a tough saying. And there are tough challenges that face us. We need to be faithful to the living God, even when our family members are sceptical or uh, opposing us. That is a really big challenge. But Jesus is encouraging us to press forward with that challenge and he's giving us a perspective um, to help us understand what it means to be opposed by people in your family and we find that in the next two verses. Verse 38 and 39. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is the first mention in Matthew's gospel of the word the cross. And this is a symbol of suffering uh, that is really vivid in their culture. We know, of course, that Jesus died on the cross. But what we need to remember is that the Romans first method of execution was crucifixion. They used this method to intimidate local populations because uh, people could see vividly on the side of the street the fate of those who sought to break the laws of the Roman Empire or even challenge the empire itself. Crucifixion was a long and painful death as people were tied to or nailed to a wooden cross on the side of the road and they died um, by multiple wounds and also the loss of the ability to breathe as time went on. So taking up the cross is a metaphor for the willingness to suffer. 
We have to decide in advance if we're followers of Jesus Christ that we're not choosing an easy life. We're choosing a life which can involve suffering and cost to us. But what we're motivated by is the absolute certainty that we're on the right track, that we're following a true path, that we have been saved from our sins, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and that he holds the key for our identity both now and in the eternal future. And that whatever suffering we experience now will pale into insignificance compared with the glory that will be revealed in us in eternity. That's the context in which Christians decide that they're willing to make costly sacrifices to follow Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting that uh, Jesus's emphasis on the costliness of discipleship is in the context of mission. As the church pushes out and reaches out to people, that's when it experiences most of its opposition. Let's now turn to the next section as we come to an end of this passage. Matthew 10 verses 40 to 42. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Well, here's something on the positive side. Because although there's suffering, opposition, difficulty predicted by Jesus, he also predicts that people will welcome us. Of course they will. People welcome followers of Christ all over the world. They welcome the message and they welcome the messenger. There'll always be people open to the gospel. We need to be encouraged by this. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37, the harvest is plentiful, using the metaphor of harvest for the salvation of people. And there are always people who welcome the gospel. Followers of Christ here are described in four different ways. They're described as you, verse 40, which is a reference to the apostles themselves. Verse 41, a prophet or a righteous person. And verse 42, little, a little one who is my disciple. So all these terms added together means that this uh, act of welcoming and blessing is applicable to all believers, not just the apostles, but anyone else who follows them, who's a true believer, who is speaking the message of Jesus. There will always be people open and they will always be those who will bless us as we come with the Christian message. Some reflections as we come to the end of this episode. Well, this has been quite a big study in the last three episodes as we've looked at Matthew 10 and the sending out of the 12 apostles. And we've looked at, at the details of Jesus' teaching 
about mission, some of it very specific to the 12 at that time. And then as the chapter progresses, it becomes more and more generalized uh, and more applicable to a wider context. And everything we've discussed in this episode is applicable to you and to me in our situations, in our churches, in our countries and in our contexts. Here we have in Matthew 10, the beginning of a development of a missionary process. It all started with Jesus on his own, but now in Matthew 10 and the parallel passage in Luke 9, we see the 12 commissioned. Then in Luke 10, as we'll see later on, we see Jesus commissioning 70 or 72 workers to go in pairs and preach the gospel. Then in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, we see a universal commission, the apostles and all who follow them to all nations of the world. And in Acts 1 verse 8, we read that when the Spirit comes, the apostles will be the witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what starts here in Matthew 10 is going to keep developing. This is a local mission in Galilee amongst Jewish residents of Galilee conducted by the Twelve. But it's like the precursor of bigger missions. It's the beginning. It's the start. It's like the template for something bigger. And some of these principles that we've been looking at today and some of this teaching is incredibly relevant in all contexts. There is a great cost in mission. There is also a great reward. And we have to take up our cross when we are spreading the message. But our motivations will be that freely received, therefore freely give, Matthew 10, 8, thankfulness. And we'll be motivated also by eternal rewards, Matthew 10, verse 32. We keep our eye on the eternal rewards that we will receive. Well, Jesus completed this teaching. And then in Matthew 11, verse 1, uh, Matthew gives a summary statement of what was going to what had finished and what was going to happen next with the following words. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And the implication of this is he went in one direction and they went in six others. And so the mission has multiplied quite suddenly. And there are more and more people sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's intention always that his mission will multiply across the world. And he's doing that today. And my prayer is that the teaching of these three episodes, series six, episodes one, two and three, describing um, the sending of the 12 and all the teaching associated with it, will be a real blessing and be used by God to stimulate the mission of the church for you and for me in all the different places that we live and worship. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.